Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up? What is up? What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, April the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. On today's show, is it time to start preparing ourselves for Josh Rosen in the aqua and orange? We'll discuss the likelihood that Miami strikes the trade to bring in the Cardinals quarterback. Plus, some late draft nuggets coming in via Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay. We'll discuss those. And in segment number two, I'll break down my piece up on LockedOnDolphins.com regarding Miami's pre-draft meet history and what it means. And we'll talk to staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com, Jason Harina, about Miami's recent draft triumphs and tribulations. And we'll finish things up with one last note on the quarterbacks and tight ends for this class ahead of Thursday's draft. But first, before any of that, real quickly, please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We have tons of content for you guys up there this week. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft Extravaganza five-part episode. Go back and check it out on the Locked On NFL podcast with Matt Williamson. You will not regret it. It is fantastic work from the great team here at the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's not waste any more time and jump right into today's very busy show. That's another Miami Dolphins So it came across originally from Peter King and it was picked up by Adam Schefter and NFLTradeRumors.com. There is plenty of buzz about this, about the fact that no team in the last two weeks has done more work on Josh Rosen, the disgruntled, soon to be on his way out quarterback from the Arizona Cardinals as they get set to draft Oklahoma quarterback Kyler Murray with the first pick on Thursday night. We are just two days away, guys. Very, very exciting. And again, Adam Schefter corroborates this with saying the Dolphins, Giants, and Chargers remain the biggest names in on the Josh Rosen sweepstakes, specifically noting that Washington is out. But again, we have to go back to Daniel Jeremiah's two-week bullshit rule that anything you hear two weeks prior to the draft Probably isn't true because teams are trying to rearrange the deck chairs right now, get their cards in order, and put themselves in the best position to capitalize on what teams think they're going to do, the perception they have given those teams, and to go ahead and act their own draft plan. And the Dolphins, with going back over Josh Rosen, you guys know by now why I don't like him. I have talked about it at length on the podcast. I think he's a bit pompous and not very well-liked by his peers in locker rooms, and we've heard that back at UCLA. We heard it at Arizona that maybe he wasn't the hardest worker, and those two things just do not jive at all with the entire message that Brian Flores and Chris Greer have put out there this offseason, and you might say, well, yeah, they say a lot of things at press conferences that don't mean a whole lot. But you go back to those two notes, likability, the ability to galvanize a team in the locker room and be a certainly or a a guy that is wired in a certain way at quarterback. Those are their requirements. I believe in that fully. 
And the two of them, Flores and Greer, have gone over those buzzwords time and time again in a manner to me that says they are genuine. But that's why I don't like Josh Rosen. I also just don't think his football is that great. He was a curious decision maker at UCLA, had some poor turnovers, was definitely ready to trust his eyes in the way Ryan Fitzpatrick was and will let the ball rip. But on the other side, there are reasons that Josh Rosen was QB1 on a lot of scouts' boards because there are some physical traits there that you like. He can anticipate very, very strongly. He's a pretty accurate thrower. I just don't like the lack of mobility, and I think that he lacks that overall drive and fire and desire to be a great quarterback in this league. But there are some physical traits and the mental processing that we didn't see with Ryan Tannehill that you like from him in that way. I still don't think they're going to buy on this guy, even though you can see some of those scheme fits in the way he processes routes underneath coverage and that type of thing. But I just don't buy it because of the thing I go back to with Chris Greer and Brian Flores and the locker room presence, the locker room mentality, and being a guy that can really rally a troop of NFL, an NFL locker room of 52 other guys. That is a huge, huge part of playing quarterback. I don't think Josh Rosen is that. And that's why I think the Dolphins have done so much work to find out if he is that guy or if all of that was basically just fluff from the Cardinals this past season. However, this trade does offer you a lot of value because you have to imagine it would be the third round pick as floated out there by Peter King, pick number 78 in the draft. And that's basically getting a first round level quarterback from last year who has already been paid $10 million of his, what is it, $22 million total salary. So you basically have Josh Rosen for the next three years at $2 million per with the fifth year option. And then you can franchise tag beyond that if he becomes your guy. So the value, don't get me wrong, Dolphins fans, I understand there is tremendous value in the stock on Josh Rosen, but it all comes back to my core belief, my initial belief, and you guys can go back to last year's archive of podcasts. I just never thought highly of the player, and that's why I'm not going to part with a draft pick because to me, I don't see a player that's going to be a long-term starter, thus it's a wasted draft pick. That's my thought. That's what I'm going with. If the Dolphins do trade for Josh Rosen, you guys know that LockedOnDolphins.com will break down every single throw he's ever made in the NFL and will give you an entire complete scouting report and the scheme fit he would have in Miami. If he comes here, I'll be disgruntled, but I'm still going to do the work on the quarterback because it's the name on the front of the jersey, guys, that I care about. Not the back means nothing to me at this stage in my life. Dolphins all the way. If they get Rosen, I'll support it. I just don't like it. Okay, before segment number two here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, one of the strengths of the network is the fact that we have so many talented hosts and analysts and scouts, everything you want from a football perspective on the Locked On Podcast Network. And one of those talent evaluators, talented talent evaluators rather, is Trevor Sykema. He's at Tampa Bay Trey on Twitter. He hosts the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And he fired off some tweets today from Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper. I'm going to run through these things real quick. McShay on what the Raiders could do with their first three picks. They could come away with Quinnen Williams, Cleland Farrell, and Josh Jacobs. Went on to say the likelihood of Kyler Murray going number one overall, 99.9%, which goes back to my idea I wanted to offer as a counter to this Josh Rosen stuff. I still believe the Dolphins have this man crush on Kyler Murray and they are gauging the Cardinals interest in Kyler Murray at the first pick because if he doesn't go off the board number one, he is in play for a trade up and the Dolphins 
have to be interested in that mold because Kyler Murray is going to put butts in the seats. He's going to win football games. And they talk about the conditioning of the defense. Well, if the other defense is chasing around Kyler Murray all game long, their conditioning better be really, really good, especially in the South Florida heat, just like we saw Alabama at the Orange Bowl back in December. Well, think about that guy doing it in September at one o'clock in the afternoon. Good luck to the defense. That's where I think this due diligence comes in from Miami. Nonetheless, Todd McShay says Kyler Murray going number one overall to the Cardinals, 99.9%. And again, rapid fire on these notes. McShay says he has a third round grade on Georgia wide receiver Riley Ridley. The Dolphins have met with Riley Ridley, so that could be a a position or a player of interest there. On Ed Oliver, he keeps hearing the Jets could take Ed Oliver at number three. Todd McShay on edge, Josh Allen going into the year. I wanted him to become more of a pass rusher than being big and fast, and he did that. He knew how to get off blocks. He developed a rip move and a spin move that was more effective. He's only going to get better. I think Josh Allen could be a Jet as well. That's me speaking. Back to Todd McShay. After Devin Bush and Devin White, there's probably not an off-ball linebacker you'd want to pick until the mid-third round. The Dolphins have a need there, so that pertains to Miami as well. Both linebackers, Devin White and Devin Bush, could be off the board in the first 10 picks. They're that good. That would be great for Miami if two linebackers went ahead of pick 13. Todd McShay says, I think Jeffrey Simmons is one of the five best football players in this draft. He's in the same range as Nick Bosa, Josh Allen, Quinnen Williams, and Devin White. I believe he's going to be a first-round pick. On safety, Deontay Thompson. Deontay got off to a great start this year. His place order went up and down in the latter half of the year. He may fall to the third or fourth round. Another McShay quote on a player of interest for Miami, cornerback Jawan Williams, a good press cover corner. I have him as a mid to late second rounder. That could be a spot the Dolphins pull him off the board. Mel Kuyper on wide receiver from Missouri, Emmanuel Hall. He was a Dolphins visit as well. I think Hall had some drops, didn't always come up with the reception, but you could see Missouri was different when he was on the field. He's my number 15 receiver. I have a third round grade on him. That's a strange juxtaposition there of phrasing, but Emmanuel Hall could be a Dolphin, I think, as well on day three, maybe late day two. Mel Kuyper, I don't think we're going to see a cornerback taken until number 20 with Pittsburgh. Mel Kuyper on what the Chiefs should do at 29. Depends how they feel about Greedy Williams and the rest of these corners, but I think they have to pick a starting cornerback. And then Mel comes back with a quote on my dude, Dalton Reisner. I love how tough he is, plays with a chip on his shoulder, can be inside and outside presence or a starting tackle in the NFL. I like the way he plays the game. I have a second round grade on Dalton Reisner. Mel Kuyper's favorite potential day two picks are Miles Sanders, Debo Samuel, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, Kahali Waring out of San Diego State, Kalen Saunders, Chase Winovich, Lonnie Johnson, and Justin Lane. So there are tons of notes up here. I can't get to all these because of time constrictions, but go check out Trevor Sykema's timeline. He is at Tampa Bay Trey. Tons and tons of good notes from him there. And when we come back on the other side of the podcast, we're going to get into the two recently published articles up on LockdownDolphins.com, one from myself, as well as one from staff editor Jason Harina, dropping some very valuable content on the website. We'll do that next. Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Lockdown Fins. I 
don't know about you guys, but it is a beautiful day once again out here in central Washington state. It's been a fantastic week and it has my spirits and my mood in high, high order. And the fact that my semester ends at the end of this week and basically this week is all a bunch of filler BS anyway. So I'm basically already off this semester of school. Gonna register right around a 3.9 GPA for your boy coming back strong 10 years later after my initial dropout. So I'm feeling good. We have the draft on deck. And speaking of the draft, I put up an article on LockedOnDolphins.com putting together a list of every single Dolphins pre-draft meeting going back to 2016 when Chris Greer was put in charge as general manager. And I wanted to read off of this list a little bit, but I'm going to give it up to you guys for LockedOnDolphins.com to check it out yourself. But the main gist of this was to try to gather how much information we can glean from the meeting process. And again, these lists are a little bit shaky in terms of their validity. I'm going off of WalterFootball.com. Our own Kevin Dern keeps a sheet every single year. I do my best to keep track of the visits. And there are other outlets that provide us opportunities to see who the Dolphins have met with, worked out with, whether it's the East-West Shrine game, the Senior Bowl, their Pro Days, the Combine, whatever it might be, there are plenty, plenty of meetings that go around. And I have two takeaways from this article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Number one, the Dolphins are going to meet with players at positions of need very, very heavily. And that was the case multiple years in a row, whether it was the defensive tackle need in 2017, last year with the tight ends and linebackers. You can just basically bank on the fact that if Miami has a need or if they meet with multiple guys, like 15, 20 guys, At a particular position, they're probably going to draft that position. That was the number one takeaway. Number two off of this thing is that visits don't necessarily mean a whole lot because you go back to last year, for instance, with linebackers, and Miami had, I want to say, 15, 16 guys on this list, and literally everybody that was a top, top linebacker prospect, Darius Leonard, Fred Warner, Jawan Bentley, they had Roquan Smith, Rashawn Evans, Tremaine Edmonds was in there. All these linebackers that went in the first couple of rounds the draft were visits, yet Jerome Baker wasn't on that list, and he still comes off the board in the third round to Miami. And of course, I put a table up there as I am wont to do. I love tables and featuring them on my work on LockedOnDolphins.com. And I listed out the number of draft picks the Dolphins had each of the last three years, how many of those picks came from their visit list, and how many undrafted free agents came from their visit list, and total players that were acquired from the visit list. It goes like this. Over the last three years, the Dolphins have had 23 draft picks. Eight of those draft picks were guys that met with Miami reportedly pre-draft. Four of the UDFAs were from the visit list. That gives us a total of 12 players, all things said, on that list. So pretty interesting perspective there that only half the guys they draft came from pre-draft visits and the the way they went by rounds. The Dolphins met with Charles Harris, the only first round pick on that list. Two second round picks were met with pre-draft. Two third round picks, Leonte Carew and Kenyon Drake. One fourth rounder, five fifth round picks. So the Dolphins' fifth round pick, number 152, odds are he will have met with Miami. In the sixth round, there are zero. And in the seventh round, two pre-draft visits. Again, we have every single visit the Dolphins have reported in 2018 up on LockedOnDolphins.com. What can we learn from Miami's pre-draft meeting history so you guys can learn more? about what Miami's thought is and what they might do come Thursday night, Friday night, and of course, Saturday afternoon. And with that, I want to go ahead and change gears here and talk more about Dolphins draft history with our staff editor, Jason Harina. 
And let's go ahead and bring that guest on. He is the staff editor at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys can follow him on Twitter. He is at MiamiDPunks. That's with an X on the end. I just need to say to you guys how valuable Jason has been to the Locked On Dolphins team. And to be perfectly frank, the website would not be nearly as good as it is without Jason's work. He is on top of everything when I am preoccupied and we have news drop or the OTA recaps, training camp recaps, even the post-game recaps in season. Jason, I'm speaking to the audience here, but also to you. You do an awesome, awesome job. And on behalf of the Lockdown Dolphins fan base, we are very grateful to have you. He is, of course, Jason Harina. Jason, what's up, man? Hey, how's it going, Travis? I appreciate that. Thank you, man. It's an honor and privilege to, uh, you know, write for the fans of Miami Dolphins. It's absolutely awesome uh, to be part of this community. And, uh, I mean, whether it's breaking great news, which you don't get too much of, or always giving that little somber note, um, I enjoy it, man. I enjoy it. So I appreciate it. Thank you, dude. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to have you on. Me and Jason actually met down in Miami. It was it was kind of an awkward situation that we avoided any awkwardness because he was at the Airbnb and I just showed up and that was how we met, basically deciding who got which room. <laughs> and it, it was on from there. We had a great time down in Miami, got to experience the Miami Miracle together. So I think that will forever really keep us intertwined in terms of our Dolphins fandom and just as dudes in general that enjoy beer and football and all the fun stuff we did in Miami. But that's not what you guys are here to listen to. I want to talk to you about the Dolphins draft history because it is draft week. We are pumping out content all week long up on LockedOnDolphins.com. We just talked about my piece with the Dolphins draft visits and what it means going back over the last few years. And Jason published a couple of pieces in tandem on Tuesday today, the top five and bottom five draft picks of the Dolphins in the 21st century. And since, Jason, we are tortured masochist as Dolphins fans, we're going to go ahead and start on the negative. And I want to just give you the floor here. Give me your worst draft picks in Dolphins history this century. It couldn't have been, I don't want to say, it was arduously easy to come up with this list. <laughs> there are so many options that you can pick from this list. Really, the most difficult part was actually nailing down who I thought the bottom five would be. Um, it's really been a mediocre year for the uh, century, for that matter, for the Dolphins <laughs> uh, and their draft history. No matter what GM you go back to, uh, they can't seem to figure it out. Uh, frankly, uh, just to throw the pot a little bit, my Dolphins, their best drafts have come under Mike Tannebaum, frankly. And... Um, I know it's not what, what a lot of people want to hear, but uh, recent history is a lot better than what the rest of the century has given us. Um, so whether it's Chris Greer, who uh, recently admitted to being responsible for all those picks, which I don't blame him. They were pretty damn good picks. Uh, Harrison Parker aside, uh, you know, those are a couple of misses we're going to hound him for. But great middle rounds of the draft. Jay Jai, Devon Godchow, uh, Vincent Taylor, Kenyon Drake, even Tony Lippett for that playoff run. Uh, whether it's Greer, whether it's Tannenbaum, um, this has been the most productive we've seen, but that being said, uh, it's been a horrendous century for Miami, and that's why in the past three years we've only seen some kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And it seems uh, like for we, Dolphins fans, not to cut you off here, Jason, it's 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 hard to really get yourself excited about Devon Godshaw and Vincent Taylor in the fifth and sixth round because in that same draft class, you have Charles Harris busting out. So I think what Dolphins fans are really looking for is that 2012 Seattle Seahawks draft, that 2017 New Orleans Saints draft where you get two all pros, two more starting contributors, a couple more special teams guys. The Dolphins have not had that. Instead, it's been a lot of bad. And that's where we go back to you, Jason, with the negative, the top five worst draft picks of this century for Miami. Let's go ahead and crank that out. So kicking it off, our fifth worst draft pick in the 21st century belongs to none other than Jason Allen, Nick Simmons' prized possession uh, in the draft, his stamp, the leading mark. 
uh, on the Dolphins. Uh, a lot will say Dante Culpepper over uh, Drew Brees. Definitely plays a huge part. I mean, we go over that time and time again with what this team's going through with quarterbacks. Uh, but Nick Saban, uh, notoriously overmatched in the NFL as a head coach. It was noticeable from the start. Um, a coach who felt like he can have um, unlimited amounts of elite talent. Uh, when you get all the best high school players, I guess you learn that uh, learn that in college. Um, but uh, you only get one first-round pick each year in the NFL. And uh, Nick Saban decides to go ahead with Jason Allen. Um, with one of those picks, and uh, it was it was absolutely horrendous. Um, he didn't do much as a corner. Um, constantly picked on. Uh, I think he averaged like just over four pass deflections a year, um, and that's only because uh, you know he actually got his hand on the balls a few times. Uh, quarterbacks um, test him is a light way to say it. Uh, they picked on him pretty often. Um, complete uh, terrible pick in the secondary. Uh, by Nick Saban, um, though not to be outdone by the other four players on this list because it just gets worse and worse from here. Jason Allen is actually uh, one of the mediocre players to hit there. He actually has some production to him. Uh, the rest of these players, uh, production does not exist. Uh, I don't think production and the Dolphins and any of these next players um, ever were cohesive at any point. Um, so we go from Jason Allen to number four, Philip Merling, uh, a second first-round pick for the Miami Dolphins. They decided with the number one overall pick that year to take Jake Long, uh, which is a whole other story in and of itself. But with their number 32 overall pick, uh, because New England Patriots lost their pick due to Bounty Gate, um, they selected Philip Merling. And a defensive end that was a prototype defensive end, which we saw relatively recently with Charles Harris. They liked to have their athletes. Uh, they decided to pick Philip Merling, who um, had one highlight in his entire career. That was picking off Brett Favre. To seal the division, I will. I will never forget that play. That was one of the great plays in Dolphins history, as far as I'm concerned. Along with that Andre Goodman pick to seal that game, I had to get that in. Go ahead and continue, Jason. Yeah, that. I mean, I'm pretty sure most of us saw it happen and was like, "Oh, this is amazing." Wait, no, who did that? Who was was actually responsible? Because we never heard Philip Merlin's name called. Um, So you talk about those bookend positions: cornerback, uh, quarterback, defensive end. Well, there are you know first two picks to lead this off two of those bookend positions that Miami did not nail down. Um, so we go ahead to number three, and we nail that third position. Uh, I guess I'll start really these next three. You might be able to intertwine based on how you feel you want to judge this category. I um, guess I'll explain a little bit. I looked mostly at value of the draft pick in this. Now, how did the player um, correlate with the Dolphins franchise? What leaving mark um, did they have on the franchise when they left? Um, and were they expensive? What kind of contracts did they sign? So these three players, most of the secondary stuff um, doesn't really take into account. It's a lot of what um, what their impression is, what impression they left on the Dolphins organization, and really how valuable they were as draft picks. So with number three, we go from cornerback, we go from defensive end, we then go to quarterback. And, I mean, again, you can take this number one if you really want, but Pat White, number three, worst draft pick in Miami Dolphins history in the 21st century. Almost as bad as Chris, uh, Christian Hackenberg going to the Jets in the second round a few years ago. Um, the only difference is Pat White actually has five uh, pass attempts to his name, um, which cannot be outdone by the fact that he has 21 rushing attempts to his name. So when you look at his stats online, he is a rusher. He's not even a quarterback. <laughs> so Miami, three of Miami, they had three years in a row where they had second round picks. They selected John Beck, Chad Henney, and Pat White. Three quarterbacks all in a row. Pat White being the tail end of that. Uh, they thought he can... Um, do something with Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams, kind of lead Tony Sperano's Wildcat offense. And uh, his numbers were just as pedestrian as they were in college 
Uh, he wasn't much of a passer. He was more of a playmaker, but nowhere near a cheap man's Michael Vick. Uh, Pat White was an absolute horrendous pick for the Miami Dolphins, um, coming in at number three on our list. Now, with number two and number one, they have a lot of similarities, uh, mostly just kind of dealing with their own personal demons. Uh, this is not something we take lightly. Um, it's something we kind of wish uh, for them as people. Everything is okay with them. But when we approach the top five, or in this case, the bottom five worst picks in Dolphins history, uh, there's no way to sugarcoat it. So, again, you can kind of intertwine these however you feel. Um, to me, one had more of a negative impression on the franchise, while the other player just had a negative impression on themselves. And so with number two, uh, we have Dion Jordan, another defensive end, another bookend position, another failure for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Jeff Ireland, highway robbery when he traded with the Oakland Raiders of the year, gave up uh, his first and second round pick to move up to number three overall, which is, I don't even think that trade gets enough credit. That's completely unheard of nowadays to move up to number three. You have to give up an entire haul if you want one of these quarterbacks or any one of these elite prospects. Jeff Ireland notices that the Oakland Raiders really want to get out at number three, barely gives anything up, moves on up, but makes the wrong selection. You have Lane Johnson going number four that year to the Eagles. He decides he wants to take another prototype athlete who he thinks he can build into the perfect defensive end, and he takes someone with alcohol demons, drug demons, (laughs) all the demons uh, from college known as well. Uh, It's interesting when you go back to Ireland and uh, Des Bryant. And you realize that there was such a problem with Des Bryant's uh, mother and her, you know, profession and all that. And then you look at Deion Jordan, that, you know, Des Bryant's mother wouldn't really affect how Des Bryant's going to pe- play. Yet you have Deion Jordan, who has all these demons, and it clearly affected him. I mean, I don't need to tell you just how non-existent he was for the Dolphins after he was drafted. Uh, every year, I feel like we were like, oh, this is the year. This is the year Deion Jordan's going to break out. And five years later, um, he goes to the Seattle Seahawks. Um, he's more productive for them in five games than he's ever been with the Dolphins in their entire history. Um, I, they had the good thought in mind of trading up, making the big pick, making the splash. Uh, they just terrible scouting on the Dolphins end, uh, and Jeff Ireland, that part really sealed the deal for him, uh, as a general manager of Miami. Yeah. And I think it's definitely difficult to argue with that list. You mentioned the trade value that Jeff Ireland got that year for Dion Jordan. It was fantastic, but the execution of the pick and really that entire 2013 offseason was basically just a waste of a year. And that was basically what 2020 is going to be to Miami in terms of draft picks and salary cap. And the famed quote from Jeff Ireland, I got a lot of picks and a bunch of cash and he flushed them all down the toilet that year. Deion Jordan, the head of that class, along with Danelle Ellerby and Philip Wheeler. You guys know the story. It's been brutal. We're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here with Jason and get his number one worst draft pick of the century for the Miami Dolphins. And we're going to bump his top five picks to tomorrow's podcast. So come back for that on the Wednesday episode of the Locked On Dolphins podcast here. We'll come back on the other side and get to Jason's number one worst draft pick, Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL, at Locked On Fins, and at Miami D Punks. Segment number three of a very busy Locked On Dolphins podcast, the April the 22nd edition here 
on the Locked On Podcast Network, and Jason does such a good job for us writing at LockedOnDolphins.com. I wanted to get him back on the podcast again to talk about his top five and bottom five draft picks of the Dolphins' 21st draft or the 21st century draft history, and we'll get to the top five tomorrow. We went a little bit too long today, but I'm going to go ahead and let Jason finish up here with his number one worst Dolphins draft pick this century. I'm sure most of you guys can guess who it is, but Jason, the floor is yours. And with the number one worst draft pick of the 21st century for the Miami Dolphins, they selected, and God only knows why, offensive tackle Jonathan Martin of Stanford. Uh, there's, again, I mean, again, you can intertwine three, two, and one, however you feel. Uh, three, Pat White, uh, probably the worst production on this list. If you want to go straight production, it's definitely Pat White. Uh, Deion Jordan, less productive uh, than Jonathan Martin in this sense. Uh, but really, what it comes down to is the implications and the effects that uh, everything with this traffic had on the Miami Dolphins organization. Uh, everything from the terrible PR scandal that occurred with the Bully Gate. Um, all of uh, any locker room leadership uh, completely doused and gone, um, just lit up in flames. Uh, there's, can you say the Miami Dolphins have even recovered from this? Uh, their offensive line at one point during that time was supposed to actually be good. Uh, Richie Incognito, which uh, as a person might be a different story, but as a player, as a left guard, uh, made that line next to Jake Long while he was still relatively healthy. You had Mike Pouncey while he was still actually a really good center. Um, and then you have uh, Jonathan Martin. Uh, who was really supposed to make that offensive line finally something that was worthwhile. Um, and as you know, today, uh, we still don't have one. Uh, right now, we have Jesse Davis um, and we have Laramie Tunsil. So, I mean, can you say Jonathan Martin getting picked uh, so many years ago has that much of a snowball effect? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, you had John Jerry lose his job, go to the Giants, start for the next four years at offensive guard. Uh, you had Mike Pouncey come from this and all of a sudden turn into the team's leader. Uh, Aaron Hernandez's best friend in college, um, <laughs> someone who is, you know, the face of Bullygate, uh, happens to still stay around. Uh, not only was this a wasted second round pick, not only did they not solve the offensive line, uh, but the Miami Dolphins were extremely embarrassed, uh, because of Jonathan Martin, um, only to have it come to a head, uh, last year when Jonathan Martin threatened, um, his old high school, Richie Incognito and a few other people as well. I think Mark Pouncey might have even been one of them. Um, where he just threatened everyone and is now um, going through court proceedings or maybe in jail at the moment. And again, we kind of wish him the best uh, with his personal life. Kind of hope he gets it together uh, for him to be uh, posting pictures of shotguns and putting people's names on it. That's someone's not in the right mind. And you always want to make sure every, everyone's okay with that. But uh, again, we're looking at the top or bottom five worst draft picks of the uh, Dolphins this century. And, uh, Really, no doubt about it, Jonathan Martin has had such a negative effect on this organization. Uh, they're still looking to climb out, really. So Jason Allen, Philip Merling, Pat White, Dion Jordan, and Jonathan Martin. Get at us on Twitter. Get at Jason at Miami D Punks. Check it out on LockedOnDolphins.com. Let me know at Wingful NFL what you think about the this list. We'll come back on tomorrow's podcast and get your top five draft picks of this century for the Miami Dolphins. Jason, thank you so much for doing this, man. We'll check out your work on LockedOnDolphins.com, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow, bud. Yep, catch you tomorrow, man.
and off he goes, and you guys get a little bit longer episode today. That tends to be how it goes when I have guests in the podcast. Things just run a little bit longer. Let's go ahead and finish this podcast up with my quarterback and tight end recap for Thursday's draft. We've talked about receivers, running backs, and the offensive line. We'll do defense tomorrow and Thursday as well. But at tight end, I just don't see Miami really participating that much in this tight end class. I think if there's one guy they'd be really, really interested in keying on, it would be San Diego State's Kahele Waring. The physical prowess, the body beautiful guy, he can play in line, that true wide tight end to maybe free up more of Mike Kosicki in the passing game and also help you in the running game that way. I just don't think they're going to be very heavy on this position because right now they have a lot of irons in the fire in terms of guys that are not developed yet at the position with Mike Kosicki, with Durham Smythe, and I guess the option there with Dwayne Allen and Nick O'Leary going forward along with Clive Walford. At quarterback, we've talked about it at length. I think Kyler Murray, Dwayne Haskins, and Drew Locke all come off the board. I don't think Daniel Jones is good value. You guys know that I hate this quarterback class in rounds two to four. I don't think highly of Will Greer. I don't think that highly of that glut of quarterbacks that are expected to come off the board on day number two. I think Tyree Jackson, Jarrett Stidham, and Brett Rippon are my three top choices for developmental quarterbacks, but I want to take a risk on them on day three. No earlier. My ultimate decision is that I don't want to spend a pick on a quarterback earlier than round five because I think that through the first four rounds, Miami can find a contributor in each of those rounds if they do things right. I'd rather wait on the quarterback because all things told, the likelihood of that quarterback, and you can go back to my podcast from last week, from my tweets from last week, the likelihood that that quarterback actually sticks and performs and is a part of your future is almost nil. Basically, Tom Brady and Dak Prescott are the only guys in recent memory that turned late round draft picks into future success in the NFL. Russell Wilson, of course, a third rounder, a bit higher than the other two guys. I just mentioned. And then beyond that, you guys know I love me some Gardner Minshew out of Washington State, but he would be a backup type of an option and probably a UDFA at this point in the draft. Let's go ahead and call it a podcast. We are way over time. If you have a smart speaker or Bluetooth capability in your car, just go ahead and say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull up the podcast right away that way. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingful NFL. The show is at Locked On Fins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. You guys have a great rest of your Tuesday. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.